Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. Welcome back to another episode of Our Soul, Faith Choice Ohio's faithfully pro-choice podcast. I am the Reverend Terry Williams, and I am very privileged today to be joined by a guest, a guest named Dr. Lauren Bean. Some of you will remember uh, that name, remember Lauren's name from uh, Protect Choice Ohio and Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, two organizations that she participates in heavily and leads. Uh, as we gather here, Dr. Bean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Now, Dr. Bean, just to um, remind our, our listeners, you are a pediatrician by profession, is that correct? That is correct. I'm a general pediatrician. So a general pediatrician, and you are extraordinarily active in this fight to keep abortion legal and to expand reproductive health rights and justice access here in the state. Can you can you kind of give us an overview of how that came to be? You know, like tell us about Protect Choice Ohio and Ohio's Physicians for Reproductive Rights and and how you you came to be in the middle of this fight, in the middle of this struggle for justice. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I, you know, I did not, I did not see myself uh, in this position. Um, I will often joke with people that, you know, being at, you know, sort of at the front of the reproductive rights um, campaign was not part of my five-year plan. Um, but I, uh, here I am. <laughs> and that it all started for me really the Monday after the Dobbs decision. Um, so, you know, I'm just a regular old community pediatrician. Um, and that Monday I came into work, um, after the Dobbs decision had come down on Friday, Roe v. Wade was no longer in effect. And I didn't quite understand, um, what exactly that meant. I knew that we no longer had, um, protections for abortion. Um, but it wasn't until that Monday that it really hit me that we were um, entering a medical crisis for Ohioans, and that included my pediatric patients. And so what happened was basically I came into work. Very first thing, one of my patient's mothers called me, and um, it's a mom of a 13-year-old girl who is not sexually active, but her mom called and asked if we should put her on birth control uh, for pregnancy prevention in the event of rape. And because if she were raped and she became pregnant and her mom didn't know about it and it was too late, she might not be able to have an abortion. And, you know, what should she do? And I, I my stomach just hit the floor. I had never been asked anything like that before. I felt ill um, and I didn't know what to tell her. And I, but I did know that, you know, we, the bad things were going to happen and people were going to suffer. And I just, I felt terrible. And so after that conversation, I had to call another one of my patients who was a 16-year-old African-American girl from Cleveland Heights who was eight weeks pregnant. And the 
previous week, I thought we had been having a lot of very healthy and um, supportive conversations where I was trying to make sure that she had the information that she needed to make the decision that was right for her. And she um, wasn't sure if she was going to continue the pregnancy or not. She was considering having an abortion, um, but she wasn't sure. So um, she, she had already been seen at preterm, which is the abortion clinic in Cleveland, and she was waiting to see OBGYN, which was an appointment she had set up for about a week and a half from that Monday. Um, and I had to call her and tell her, you know, hey, if you're considering having an abortion, uh, you can't wait to see OBGYN and ask them questions that you might have. You need to go back to preterm today. And in fact, it might already be too late at eight weeks. And I was talking to her from uh, my office in Solon. Um, and that community is a community that um, has, a, you know, a lot of privilege and wealthy people live there. And I was talking to her. She comes from a wonderful community in Cleveland Heights, but it's a community that doesn't have a lot of financial resources. And I just couldn't help but think about how, gosh, if she decides that she wants to have an abortion and it's too late in Ohio, she's going to have to travel out of state. And that is going to put a lot of strain on her family that not all of my patients would feel um, if they were in a similar situation. And I could just see the socioeconomic disparities in our healthcare outcomes widening before my eyes. And it was, you know, nine, nine o'clock on that Monday morning already. And so from that, I knew that I had to do something. I didn't really know what to do, um, but I was um, very frustrated and I decided, well, I'm going to write my congressman um, or my legislators because that's what you're supposed to do when you're mad at the government. And again, sometimes I'll make some silly jokes, but what specifically when you're mad at the government and you don't want to go to jail. Yes. So if you're mad at the government, yes. you don't want to go to jail, you write them a letter. So I I wrote a um a draft of something that you could send to your legislators. And I shared it in a women's physicians Facebook group that I'm in. And I said, hey, if there's anybody else who wants to, who feels this, this frustration that I experienced today on the Monday after the Dobbs decision, you know, maybe we can all start writing and calling our um, legislators and, you know, tell them what we feel as physician women, um, sort of together. And so that's where, when I actually met Marcella Azevedo, who's now the president of Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, I had not met her before, but she was in this Facebook group. She saw my post and said, hey, this is a good idea. Why don't we put this letter in a Facebook group, invite some of our friends, see if we can all write a bigger letter and send it to the newspaper, maybe as a letter to the editor, have it signed by 10, 20 doctors. That would be very powerful. So we did that. We invited our friends. We invited the people in that group. And within four and a half days, over a thousand physicians from around the state were asking to join our Facebook group to sign this letter. And it was so powerful um, and unexpected. And we ended up um, finishing this letter and we had it, it printed as a full page ad in the Columbus Dispatch. Um, and it was laid out with the names of the 1000 physicians who all signed it around it. And it was one of those moments where I know Marcel and I both had a similar feeling of like, gosh, we're, we, we have tapped into some kind of an energy here and we need to use this energy for good. And so that's when we formed Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights. Um, that is 
that is such a whirlwind and so powerful. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I got to see the Cleveland uh, announcement, you know, the big letter, the, the sign on. And, and my heart was just full of joy and wonder because there were names on that list. I, I did go through the list, right? When I was able to go, I went all the way through the, and there were people there who I knew there were some of my physicians on that Mm -hmm. list. And it really, it really did hit me as, like you said, there's a change. There's something different. Um, I know there are a lot of us who have experienced in many different parts of the state for for many decades, the struggles around um, accessing abortion care. It is fundamentally different. And, you know, that's not to take anything away from, you know, I'm I'm Appalachian. So we consistently remind people like we haven't had consistent abortion care in Appalachia for 20 years. Right. Or more. Many populations, people of color, people who are disabled, people in socioeconomic circumstances that are are not ideal or well looked on by uh, the government, all of those people have struggled, but it is fundamentally different now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to acknowledge both of those truths at the same time and to say, we're doing something about it. When you're mad at the government, what do you do? I can think of a lot of things, right? There are a lot of lists on that. Yeah. And we won't we won't get into that because you know we don't we don't want uh anyone from the FBI to come knocking. But you know, like yeah. people do lots of different things when they're mad at the government. You did a productive thing, a very productive thing that has given voice to so many people and brought people into a movement that I think some people didn't even know there was space for them mm-hmm. in that movement and in this space um, to have physicians stand up and say, you know what, this is a crisis. The, this is now we we have moved we have moved beyond um, the the struggle and the process that we have known for a long while into a place that is deeply dangerous for everybody. And we're not going to get out of that until we make a move, until we until we really make a decisive transition as a culture. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, I'm I'm kind of alluding to what what we're in the midst of now, because the decisive transition, the next step in that decisive transition for us, at least in the repro movement in Ohio, is this ballot initiative that Protect Choice Ohio has led on, uh, that Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights has really pushed on. I want to I want to talk a, a little bit about the development of the ballot initiative, because you've been at the center of uh, much of that work and much of that activism. And I know early on, we had a lot of early conversations around, you know, how how do we shape this ballot initiative? What do we do around this ballot initiative? When is the right time for this ballot initiative? You know, uh, full disclosure, right? Uh, Dr. Bean held my hand when I was anxious about, oh, should should we be doing this in 2023? Isn't it better in 2024? And isn't the, you know, aren't the, the uh, you know, the political landscape better? And I remember a conversation you and I had where where you looked me square in the eye over Zoom and you said, yeah, that's nice. That that's nice. 2024 would be nice. But people are suffering now. Mm-hmm. 
And you said, you've told me that yourself. And, and it was this real moment where I felt like you, you became the pastor. <laughs> you know, you, you said, hey, by the way, let's refocus in this yeah. moment. Like people are suffering now. People have been suffering for a long while. Why would we wait? You know, I, I'm just interested to hear your, your thoughts on the timing and around you know, why this ballot initiative and why the ballot initiative in the way it's been brought forward with the five elements, with the structure around viability? What What are your thoughts? On? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think um, so as for me and everybody that's in, you know, because so, originally our we started out as Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, which really formed in a matter of days. And then, you know, we ended up building a coalition that's much, much larger, which is Protect Choice Ohio. And we did that because we we recognize that we are physicians in this space, but this is a space that impacts everybody. And people have gifts and energies to bring to the table that we all need to capture and elevate each other in this movement forward. And so, you know, we, um, we, that's, you know, the, I can get back to that in a bit, but that's why we formed this Protect Choice Ohio. But the, the thing that has been the guiding light for Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, and I think that brought all of these doctors together who weren't previously involved in this space, um, is that we are focused on our patients. You know, that mm -hmm. is the only thing that we are focused on. Everything else is secondary because as physicians, it is our responsibility to make sure that our patients can get the care that they need and that we're able to provide them with the care that they need. And if we see that our patients are suffering, that we do something about it to help them. And there's, we, I could see my patients suffering within hours on my first day back. And there were so many people, so many doctors that had a similar experience. And I heard unbelievable, unbelievably tragic stories um, that unfolded over just those first couple of days. And so you know, suddenly you found, we found ourselves with a number of doctors who weren't previously in this space, who felt compelled to take action. And I think that that being our initial sort of coming together has around this just same focus of we are doing this for our patients because our patients need this now. In fact, they need it yesterday. They need to have access to reproductive health care uh, when they need it has helped us to stay very focused on that cause. Um, because, and then, so then that question about, you know, the ballot initiative and how that happened and the timing. So, you know, for us, when we were when we when this first started, we were trying to figure out, well, what can we as a group of physicians do to help? Um, we wanted to help in a way that was actually going to help. We didn't want to get in the way. We didn't want to try to duplicate work. Um, we wanted to find a way that we could provide help in in a, in a kind of a slightly different voice than what might be usually present. And so um, that eventually actually, I say eventually, but within a few weeks, I think became very clear to us that that really needed to happen through the ballot measures where you know, the, the citizens can come together to bring um, um, an amendment to the people and the people can then vote on it, which is what we're doing right now in our signature collection for November. And 
um, we felt that as a group of physicians, we had a sort of a special voice in that process because these citizen-initiated ballot measures are the most pure form of grassroots democracy. And we, as doctors that are, no, are a nonpartisan group of doctors, felt that we would be able to reach a slightly broader audience than um, what might otherwise be able to be reached. Um, and because we 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 don't bring we're not bringing politics into it right we're just bringing and not that anybody is necessarily intentionally doing that um but abortion care is a politically charged issue unfortunately because people have made it so um and so we're taking a very concerted concerted effort to just focus on this as a medical issue and not a political issue something that we are concerned that our patients regardless of where you're from um you you or your family member might have a very negative um, outcome suffer and maybe even die, which is terrible, but it's a real thing if you can't get medical care, including abortion when you need it. That That is really, really profound and important for us to remind folks around like the, the whole process, the whole reason that this has come forward is because abortion care is necessary medical care. It is not something that is, you know, add on. It is not something that, you know, well, you make your choice and you're just like, it's medical care. It's a medical thing. And the idea that we live in a nation where in many states today, that medical procedure is banned. Yes. So, so a medical procedure to help someone live is banned. It's it's profoundly disappointing. I I do also have to point out, you know, your your statement about the ballot initiative that ballot initiatives that are put before the people are, I think your phrase was, um, the the purest form of democracy, right? Yeah. I I think there are some legislators in the Ohio General Assembly who would disagree with you. They would say, oh no, ballot initiatives are big scary opportunities for special interests to change the constitution. Or at least that's what they tried to tell us when they passed this uh, August special election that's going to cost us $20 million while we have declining maternal uh, health and, and wellness rates, while we have children who can't get food in schools. We're going to spend $20 million for an August special election to make it harder to pass this ballot initiative in November. Can mm -hmm. can you just say a word about that? Like, what? Yeah. How how did how did you scare the politicians so badly that they had to try to hold another election to head mm -hmm. us off? How how did this happen? Yes, and well, I mean, we're <laughs> we're not the scariest bunch, but it, clearly we've. Uh... Raise some hairs on the necks of some powerful people. Um, but it, so citizen initiated ballot measures are true grassroots democracy. And, you know, we've we've had in Ohio, not all states have these, but in Ohio, we have had the ability to let the citizens bring something to the people to vote on, to amend the Constitution for 111 years, started with the Ohio Constitutional Convention that Theodore Roosevelt came to. And that was at a time when, when special interests and monopolies and all of these hugely powerful people had too much control over the government. And so they were looking for a way to give some control back to the people. And 
in Ohio right now, again, I'm not a particularly political person <laughs> until this year, <laughs> but our legislature is very gerrymandered and there have been a lot of ways to make it harder for the voices of people to be adequately represented and fairly represented. Um, and so these ballot measures are a way to go around that um, gerrymandered legislature. And the legislature knows that. And they also know that this is not a winning issue for them. There have been numerous polls that have shown that the people of Ohio support access to abortion. Um, the people of Ohio don't want the government to regulate their conversations that they have in private with their physician, and they want these healthcare decisions to be left between a person and their doctor, a woman and their mm -hmm. doctor. And um, polls have showed that over and over again, and polls have anticipated that our ballot measure will likely pass with about a 59% vote. And so the fact that the Ohio legislature um, has decided to have a last minute special election to raise the bar to 60% is obviously to try to stop us. Um, and it's because they know that we will win. Um, and they're afraid of that because they're afraid. I mean, they're not afraid of special interests. They're afraid of the voices of the people. And in fact, special interests are what are funding these efforts to make it harder. So it's, you know, it's really a sad time for um, democracy in Ohio. But, you know, I always look at the, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I'm a pediatrician, mm. right? You know, I look, I always look for the, the bright things in the space. And, you know, this is, we, we are coming together. We are gathering hundreds of thousands of signatures. We are raising a lot of money. We are helping people realize what's going on in the state of Ohio and people are, are fed up. And so we, we, we know that no matter what happens in August, we will still be successful um, because this is a state where people want to be able to make their own healthcare decisions. And that applies to reproductive healthcare decisions. Absolutely. I, in, I find it so fascinating that when we talk about fairness and equity, that the push right now in August is to ask Ohioans to make it harder for Ohioans to amend our constitution. And the reason that that ask is being made is to prevent something that is wildly popular in the state from becoming legal and, and available. It's just wild to me the machinations that politicians are going through to try to maintain this level of control. Um, so I, I know we at Faith Choice Ohio, we have joined together with the Vote No in August Coalition, and that's votenoinaugust.org. Can you guess what they'd like you to do at the Vote No in August Coalition, right? Yeah. Votenoinaugust.org, because we want to maintain one person, one vote. We want to maintain our democracy. And of course, vote yes in November on that issue. That uh, particular ballot issue, we have just a few minutes left here, but I, I do want to go into, you know, just briefly, um, the five big elements of that ballot initiative, the five rights, at least, that are listed in the ballot initiative are 
um, you know, a right to contraception, a right to fertility treatment, a right to continue one's own pregnancy, a right to miscarriage management, huge, huge issue, especially in the wake of Dobbs, and the right to safe and legal abortion, right? And those five rights are appended by a very small statement about viability that mm -hmm. says the state can regulate abortion after the point of fetal viability, but that fetal viability is decided upon, is defined by the physician who is treating the patient. And I found that so incredibly profound. The idea that a medical thing should be defined by medical people. What a <laughs> radical idea, right? I know, right? That, that politicians yeah. and other people shouldn't be the ones defining this. Um, we, we will have the whole... Um, text of the ballot initiative. It's only one page. We'll have it in the show notes for, for this episode. But I'd, I'd just like to get your take on, you know, this seems like a profoundly simple, straightforward, and common sense amendment, you know? I, I just, medical things and medical people, right? Yeah. Med and it was, I think part, a big part of that is because there were a lot of medical people that helped write it. Mm. And so for us, so like I was, I was on I contributed and helped with this, as did um, OBGYNs and other leaders of our organization who worked alongside, you know, the best attorneys in the state to craft language that um, um, that was very similar to the language in Michigan, but, you know, worked a little bit better here in Ohio. And for us, that seemed like the most straightforward part, um, because when, you know, every pregnancy is different, every Every pregnancy is different and every patient's circumstances are different. And um, it, it doesn't make medical sense to put a gestational age as being least the moment when a fetus um, achieves viability, meaning that they are um, likely to survive outside of the woman without, you know, um, extraordinary interventions. And so... And it's important to have access to abortion up until the point of viability, because when women have anatomy ultrasounds, that's done between 18 and 20 weeks. And that's the point when you can see if the fetus that a woman is carrying is affected by um, significant fetal anomalies that will make it so that that um, that fetus will not survive outside of the woman or has a very low chance of survival or that there are complications that are so grave that it's putting, it's going, it's putting, or is going to put, you know, the woman's life and health in danger. And, and all of that is discovered usually between 18 and 20 weeks. And so if you try to say, oh, well, uh, abortion can be legal up to, I, sometimes people will say 22 weeks or 24 weeks, that it's not, it doesn't make practical sense for those patients who are carrying a fetus that's not going to survive, but then they're in a time crunch to try to do something about the pregnancy or maybe their ultrasound as our access to care is getting harder and harder. Now, a lot of people are getting care later. Um, you know, you just have to make sure that you're able to provide the care that a person needs when they need it. Um, and that, you know, our laws are not there as burdens, but they're there to make sure that the citizens can live safe and healthy lives. And so, 
you know, that's why we feel that it makes the most sense to have the physician and the medical team that's caring for the person um, to be able to be those people in that moment to determine if that pregnancy um, is one that will, you know, that is viable. Yes. And I, I, I have to say, we're kind of running out of time here, but um, I've made an executive decision. I, I want to revisit this conversation in about three months. I, I want to have you back in, in August Great. to talk around the pastoral and, and medical issues, because, you know, for me, I've said this many times at the state house, and I, I feel like you would likely agree with me. As many people who have asked me to participate in their decision-making around reproductive care. As many people who have asked me to come and pray with them during their ultrasounds and to bless them before um, termination for medical reasons or, or whatever the case may be, I have never once had a person, while they're asking for their pastor or their doctor, I've never once had that person ask for their state legislator. Ever. Yeah. yeah, ever, ever, right. So I I hate that we have to cut it short there because I feel like there's so much more in, in this, Dr. Bean. Dr. Bean, um, Protect Choice Ohio is obviously moving forward for the ballot initiative, collecting signatures. We're going to have you back. We're going to have Great. you back once we're over this August election and once we have secured those signatures and we're headed on to the ballot in November. Thank you so much, Dr. Lauren Bean. Thank you so much, Terry. I'm honored to be here and I'm honored to be working with you as part of Protect Choice Ohio together. So we're, we're doing it. And until next time, friends, we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.